0: Good morning. morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to welcome all of you here today. Thank you for coming, especially our guests who are with us. Uh, Whether you're in person or watching online or listening to our podcast, we're super excited to have you join us for worship. If you were here last week, uh, we invited you to go home with a story card. What's your story? And just tell us a simple story about how God is at work in your life. And so if you brought those cards back, we're super excited about that. Just would ask that you would put that in the offering boxes on the way out this morning. Or you can also go to our website, southparkchurch.com. Uh, and have more space to kind of share one of the stories about how God is active in your life. And so if you didn't have a chance to do this, you can get a card today and do that. Or again, go to our website. Those of you watching online, we consider you part of our church family. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. And we're studying the Bible all year long, and it's about a story. It's about a story between God and us. And so we want to try to figure out how God is at work in our lives and celebrate those stories. So we'd love to have you uh, let us know. One of those stories that that God has done in your life so that we can share in that. And celebrate together. I'd like to also invite you today to our our town hall meeting at one o'clock over at our church property, 4411 Sharon Road. This is gonna be our last town hall meeting in our current campus in the ski slope uh, as we've come to know uh, our our sanctuary there. Going to be giving updates on uh, what's coming up next in our building process about us fully moving out of the building. Uh, Lots of exciting things to report, so I hope you'll come and, and hear about that. We'll have time for question and answers. Uh, Chris Thomas from Children's Klein, our uh, building partner, is going to be there with us. Uh, Again, many things to report. Uh, We also are going to notice when we go to the church today that we're working with an estate sale company. We're going to have an estate sale later in February, and they've already started working and staging things in the building to be sold. So just would invite you not to touch anything (laughs) because they've taken pictures, uh, and it's going to be out there. And uh, certainly, please don't take anything home with you, not that you would. Uh, But uh, we want to make sure that their hard work is recognized. And uh, so we'll be in the sanctuary, and again, lots of excitement things to report. So I hope you can come uh, and be a part of that this afternoon. Uh, Let's dive in. But first with a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word today, that we would all hear it uh, and allow God's story to be part of our story. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So after the early humans kind of messed our relationship up with God, we saw uh, that God launched a plan to get us back. And the rest of the Bible is is that story. And so this uh, first part of that plan is God created a nation of Israel. And through that nation, he's going to be uh, a beacon to the entire world. And to start the nation, he he started with a man named Abraham and Sarah, his wife. Uh, They had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob. And now, of course, we see Jacob had 12 sons, that would become the 12 tribes of Israel, the founders of this nation of Israel. And so uh, today we get a look in Joseph uh, or Jacob's life with his twelve sons. Uh, and we'll see that Jacob kind of inherited or learned something, uh, a negative trait from his parents, uh, Isaac and Rebekah. They played favorite with their two, favorites with their two boys, Jacob and Esau. And so Jacob kind of repeats this pattern. And among his twelve sons, he has a favorite, and it's one of the youngest sons, Joseph. And so uh, he shows his favoritism to Joseph. He, he gets him this fancy coat, the coat of many colors, and, and doesn't get one for the rest of his boys. That might be equivalent to modern day saying, if you had 12 children, uh, that you gave one of them the brand new iPhone, uh, and the rest of them you gave a quarter and said, hey, go find a pay phone if you want to call somebody. All right? So it was definitely uh, showing favoritism. Joseph didn't help himself any. He was a bit of a tattletale and would come in and tell his dad when his brothers were messing up out in the fields, where they're supposed to be working and and then God gave Joseph a couple of dreams and these dreams were pretty cool and awesome and at least for Joseph because in these dreams ultimately what happens is Joseph's brothers and his parents come and they bow down before him and and so, you know, it might have been wise for this 17 year old young man to maybe keep those dreams to himself, but I, I think the, the biblical interpreters kind of said that he didn't do that. In fact, he told his brothers and his family uh, that they were going to bow down to him. And it went something like this, if I can translate the Hebrew exactly right. Nah, 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 nah. You're going to bow down to me. Blah, right? So Joseph, right, this 17 year old young man, a little bit cocky. He's running with the dream, right? You're going to bow down to me. I've got the coat of many colors. You don't have it. I'm a tattletale, that sort of thing. So this did not sit well with his brothers. So one day they were out working. They see Joseph coming and they're like, here comes that dreamer. Let's show him what we think of him. And so they, they jumped on him. They beat him up. They threw him into a pit and they were this close to killing him. But one of the brothers interceded and said, no, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery, uh, and, and these traders took him down into Egypt. It's south of Israel. And so Joseph was human trafficked. And so his brothers uh, went back to their father, Jacob, and they took his coat, uh, Joseph's coat, and they kind of ripped it up, and they put some animal blood on it and said that he was attacked by an animal, and so now he's dead. And so, of course, Jacob is distraught, his favorite son, and his mind is dead and gone. And so, of course, he's grieving and mourning, and, and, and his sons pull one over on him. They trick him, just like he tricked his own father to sell uh, to give him his brother's blessing when he was younger. So, Jacob, right... Learns how to play favorites with his sons. He tricked his father, uh, Isaac, and now his sons are tricking him, right? You guys, y'all think your families are dysfunctional? Nothing compared, right, to these holy families, right? The patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible, right? Just, it's, it's not a good situation, right? Very dysfunctional family. So, Joseph is sold into slavery, Uh, And someone very special in the country of Egypt chooses to buy him. And so if you've got your Bibles with you today or you want to look along up on the screen uh, or on your phones or tablets, whatever you've got, uh, we're going to be in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And I want to read to you from Genesis 39, verses 1 through 3. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt, uh, the captain of the guard was Potiphar, a very important person, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Do you remember Ishmael? Right. So Ishmael would have been Joseph's great uncle. So what happened was Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery to his cousins. Very dysfunctional family. The Lord was with Joseph. You see that we've highlighted that. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, brothers and sisters, if you feel like you're enslaved to something, maybe it's alcohol or drugs or a bad relationship, know that the Lord is with you, even as the Lord was with Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And so immediately he, he rises to the top of the household of Potiphar and and Potiphar is a powerful man. He's a captain of the guard, right? Captain of the, the guard of the, of the king or the pharaoh. And so very important military leader. And so he has favor for Joseph because Joseph's a good man and he's a hard worker. And so he becomes the head of the household and he oversees the house and all of the servants. And, and so God is with Joseph and he was you know unjustly sold into slavery. But, but God is with him and bringing good into his life. And so things have looked up for Joseph. But then Mrs. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, uh, develops this obsession with Joseph and and she tries to seduce him time and time again. But Joseph is a good man. He's a man of God. And he's like, you know, we can't do that because, you know, it's just not right. Right. Your husband has been good to me. I'm in charge of his household and and I'm not going to do that. And so one day, Mrs. Potiphar decides she's not going to take no for an answer, and she, she attacks Joseph physically, and, and, and he, he flees from her, and she grabs his garment, right? It says garment in the Scripture. Uh, the video said coat. Wouldn't that be something if a, if a coat got Joseph in trouble again? It's like, if I was Joseph, I'm never wearing another coat in my life, right? So it got him sold into slavery. Now, you know, she grabs his coat and says to everyone, he tried to seduce me, and here's the proof of that. And so now Joseph has been falsely accused, but who's Potiphar going to believe, right? A slave who is a foreigner or his own wife, right? And so we jump back into the Bible again in Genesis chapter 39, uh, and we see what happens here. Joseph's master Potiphar took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, didn't do anything wrong, was doing the right thing. How was he rewarded? He was cast into prison. But while Joseph was there in the prison, what does it say? The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, Joseph's in trouble. He's where he doesn't need to be. He's where he doesn't deserve to be. But the scripture says that God was with him. So in prison... Right? Joseph, that's a scary place to be. You're in a foreign prison. You're probably gonna be there for the rest of your life. There's some unsavory characters there. Nobody wants to go to prison. No one wants to go to jail. Joseph's there, but it says that the Lord is with him. Right? And, And so Joseph is elevated in status. So the prison guards, the prison wardens see that Joseph is this model prisoner and that evidently God is with him. And so he rises to like the, the head prisoner in prison. Not sure exactly why that entails, but it, it sounds like there's some privilege there. And, and there were some impressive prisoners there with him. They, they worked for the king, Pharaoh. The Pharaoh got mad at them, threw them in a prison for a while. They had some crazy dreams and God came to Joseph and helped them interpret those dreams. And, and so one day, uh, some of these guys go back to work for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has these crazy dreams like these seven skinny cows swallow up these seven fat cows, and and these seven kind of withery stalks of grain swallow up these seven healthy uh, stalks of grain, and Pharaoh doesn't know what that means. It's his dream, and so he asks all of his people and his astrologer's dream interpreters, whatever they can interpret the dream, when suddenly the one prisoner who was with Joseph in prison remembers, hey, I know this guy. He's in jail. He interprets dreams, and so They go and they get Joseph out and and Joseph, through God's power, is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and he says, what's going to happen is we're going to have seven years of plenty and we're going to have all this great harvest and then followed by that are going to be seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh, what you need to do is, is stock up in those seven years of plenty so that you'll be prepared for the seven uh, years of famine. And so again, God's with Joseph. Uh, again, we dive back into the scripture. This time we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 41, chapter uh, 41 verse 39. Then Pharaoh said this to Joseph, "Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you, right? God is with Joseph. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Right? So Joseph has gone from lowly slave, right, who's been human trafficked and now he's like the equivalent of the vice president of Egypt. He's second in command of this powerful nation and it's just it's it's only because that God is with him and is working in his life. His brothers meant to do all this harm to him and and he's had some hard times, right? He's been beaten up, he's been uh, enslaved, he's been in prison. He's he's suffered for things that he didn't do, but God has been been with him. And now he's in this powerful position, right? He he oversees the storing up of food during the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine come, the Egyptians are taken care of. Other countries come to Egypt and and, and they pay for the food and the Pharaoh becomes wealthy. Uh, And so Joseph is a man who in essence saves most of that area of the world. And of course, Israel, which is right north of Egypt, also goes through this famine. And so, lo and behold, guess who comes knocking at the door one day asking for food? Joseph's family, his brothers. Jacob has sent them to Egypt to ask for food. And and Joseph... Lets them come in in front of him, but he looks different now. He looks like uh, an Egyptian. He speaks Egyptian. He doesn't look like uh, he's grown up some, and so they don't recognize who Joseph is, and they're coming, and the dreams come true. They're bowing down, and they're asking Joseph to save their lives. Now, I wish I had time to go into the details, but I don't, but Joseph is a good man, but he also has been slighted by his brothers, so he messes with them just a little bit, and uh, he plays these games, sending them back and forth to Israel and, and messing with them, but ultimately, when they return and they're in his presence, he can't take it anymore, and the emotion overcomes him, and he sends all the Egyptian guards out, and he breaks down, and he starts crying, and he reveals himself to his brothers and they are blown away and and i'm sure they're full of mixed emotions a lot of guilt right oh man we have done this to our brother a lot of fear now you know this guy could totally wipe us off the face of the planet but then joseph ex- extends grace to them and he forgives them and and he welcomes them and he invites his father to come back and eventually they get jacob there and it's this big family reunion and and they're they're going to live there together in egypt and, and and override this this whole process and It's powerful, and and, and yet the brothers are still skeptical, right? And Joseph has to assure them time and time again that that it's going to be okay. So I want to jump back into Scripture again and, and read just one of these powerful things. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Right. You meant to do me harm. right? God didn't mean to do me harm, but, but from your actions of trying to harm me, God used the situation for good. And in essence, he has saved the world. He, he saved people from starving to death. And so I forgive you. Right? And so the family lives there together for like 71 years in, until Joseph dies. And, you know, it was a 22-year span from when he was sold into slavery to when he's reunited with his, his family. So those 22 years were, were kind of tough, right? But then 71 years living together uh, until Joseph dies, right? Just, just this, this dysfunctional family comes full circle, uh, and they receive forgiveness, and they receive redemption. And it's just it's a powerful powerful story. And so we could take so many different lessons out of it today, but but, but the one thing, the big idea that I just would encourage you guys to think about and, and write down or, or talk about today at lunch or in your small groups or whatever is this. A bad place can be the right place to encounter God. A bad place can be the right place to encounter God. Now, our gut reaction is, well, well, can't good places be the right place to encounter God? Because I'd much rather have things going well in my life than to to have a bad place. Absolutely, God's in the good places, but sometimes the bad place is where we're most open to seeing God working in our lives. And and this is not a license to say, oh, Pastor Kyle said I should go to that rave party over there because, you know, God needs me to be in a bad place. Not what I'm saying at all. In our lives, when when we're in a tough situation in the lower story, Right? And we don't see that there's any good coming from that. When, when we've been betrayed by our family, when we've been enslaved to something, when we're feeling imprisoned to something, we can know that in those bad places that God is with us. right? Because God was with Joseph when he was in slavery. God was with Joseph when he was in prison. God was with Joseph when he was ruling the country of Egypt. A bad place can be the right place to encounter God. Amen. But when we're in that place, it doesn't feel like that. So in our lower story, it, it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy when our family turns on us. It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy when we're battling an addiction. It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy when we are in prison, right? Maybe our, our bodies are in prison we're feel, we are physically sick or we are in prison in a bad work situation or abusive relationship, right? That's no fun place to be, right? But in that moment, in those lower story moments, God is with us. God is with us. God is working to bring good into our lives, right? And then God's using our lower stories to be a part of our upper story, God's upper story, right? Remember, God used Joseph's bad circumstances to elevate him to be in a position to save the world from starvation. So God worked through Joseph's problems in his lower story that I don't think God caused. The brothers caused all that, right? Mrs. Potiphar caused that, right? God took that and used that to bring good into the upper story, saving tons and tons of people's lives. But it goes even bigger than that in the upper story. I want to think about it from Jacob's perspective for a minute. This is the father whose son Joseph, to him, he thought he was dead, right? So Joseph was dead, and later he is alive again. He's resurrected, and through that resurrection, through that rebirth, the world is saved. Does that sound like a familiar story to anybody? The father's son is dead and has been resurrected, and through that resurrection has saved the world. That's the story of Jesus. And Joseph's story is the story of Jesus and it's 2,000 years before Jesus was born, right? Do you see how God takes our lower stories and does the epic unthinkable with the upper story? Remember last week we we talked about Abraham almost having to sacrifice Isaac, his son, uh, and how God intervened in that. And that was a foreshadowing of 2,000 years ahead when God would allow his son Jesus to die so that you and I can be restored in a right relationship with God, right? Jesus is all over these stories, 2,000 years before he's even born. Jacob's, the father whose son died, is now back alive and has saved the world. He's a forerunner for the gospel, the good news about Jesus, right? So this is powerful lower and upper story stuff, right? Sometimes a bad place is the right place to encounter God, right? And so the way that we begin to see this in our own lives, I think there's three things that we can do. Like if we're in a bad situation, if you're in a bad situation right now, maybe it's a health situation, maybe it's a work situation, maybe it's a financial situation, maybe it's an addiction, you know, maybe it's some peer pressure. If we're in a bad situation and, and we want to encounter God, maybe there's three things that I think we can do. The first of them is to literally call a timeout, right? Right? to physically step back, maybe even say it, time out, right? And just say, this situation stinks, right? Because a lot of times we get so caught up in our lives that we just, we react to things. Something goes wrong. We react to that. Something goes wrong. We react to that. We need to say, time out. I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to think about this from an objective viewpoint, right? This situation stinks. I'm sick. I'm hurting. I'm brokenhearted. This is no fun at all. But I need to take a step back and see if there's anything possibly good that might be going on here. So to have self-awareness, to take a step back and to look at our situation objectively so that we can be proactive rather than reactive is a key first step, right? And you don't have to be corny and say time out, but to take a step back and say, this situation is difficult. What's going wrong and and what could be going right, right? So we take the time out. Right? And then I think the second thing that we can do, uh, the second thing that we can do, is to look for God in our lower story. Right? So time out, the situation is tough, but where could God be working?? Right? God was with Joseph in slavery, God was with Joseph in prison. Right? If God can be with Joseph in these difficult circumstances, then God's got to be present in my life, too. Where do I see God at work in my life right now, even though it's a tough time? And am I, am I looking for God? Am I talking to God? Am I praying to God? Am I worshiping God? Am am I, am I pouring myself out to God? Am I serving God? Am, Am I thinking about others more so than myself? Uh, have I, have I poured out my guts to someone that I love and trust who is a godly person and might be able to say to me where they see God at work in my life? Has God sent people into my life right, to comfort me? Am I am I experiencing the peace of God that the Bible promises us, right? Are we seeking to find God in our lower stories because God is there? Every time Joseph was in a bad spot, it says God was with him and God is with us in our difficult situations, All right, Take a time out, look for God in our lower stories, and the final thing to do is think upper story, right? I'm in a bad situation. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't think God's put me in this situation, but he's going to bring something good in this situation like he did with Joseph, right? And so God, I don't know why I'm in this situation. I don't know what good's going to come from it, but I'm going to trust you to show me something bigger than myself. Like Joseph helped save all those people. Like it was a foreshadowing of Jesus, saving all of us in our spiritual walks with God. Lord, show me your picture. Maybe I need to change my focus. Maybe I need to change my dream. Maybe I need to focus more on what you would have me get out of this situation rather than what I want to get out of this situation. So take a time out. Look for God in our lower story and think upper story, right? There's another passage of Scripture I want to share with you. It's from the New Testament this time. It's the book of Romans. It's a letter that Paul, who was a disciple of Jesus, uh, he wrote this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good, Of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, right? So if we're in a difficult circumstance, I don't think God causes those circumstances. And he doesn't want to trivialize those circumstances, right? Because there's some hard things that we're going through. But in those circumstances, God is at work for the good for those of us who love him, right? We highlighted that for those who love him, right? It's so important for us to be a follower of Jesus because it opens us up to God getting active in our lives to say, yeah, that stinks. But I'm with you and I'm going to bring something good out of that situation. So how does this look like? What does this look like in real everyday life? So Laura and the boys and I, on Thanksgiving, uh, we went home uh, to see both sets of our family. So Thanksgiving last year, uh, we do lunch with my extended family, uh, and then we do dinner with Laura's extended family, and then we fast for like two days because it's just crazy. And so we're stuffed. And so uh, at Laura's family, it's uh, her parents' host, and her dad is one of six people uh, of brothers and sisters. They grew up on a, a chicken farm uh, in Pisgah, which is right outside of Asheboro in Randolph County, North Carolina. Uh, And so it's a big family and we come together and we eat and it's it's great to see the family. Uh, But Laura's family, um, our family has gone through a hard time. Two of Laura's uncles in the past year have been diagnosed with cancer, have been fighting that cancer. Uh, one of Laura's cousins, who's in her early 30s, also uh, battling cancer and, and dealing with that, and so it's just been a, a real hard time. Uh, and we saw Laura's family. We weren't able to go back at Christmas, but they all gathered again. Uh, and then shortly after that, one of Laura's aunts, uh, Aunt Misha, who was 55 years old, went in for a, a colonoscopy uh, just around New Year's, uh, and they found out that she had cancer. And they found out it was serious cancer, uh, and they went in immediately. And they found it was in her colon. It spread to her liver, spread to her lungs, and spread to her brain, and she died in three weeks. And we were at her funeral this past Tuesday, 55 years old. Terrible lower story ending, right? And so um, just before this, Uh, She'd been working a job that had become stressful, and she wasn't having a lot of joy in, but uh, two kids in college, that sort of thing. And uh, right before Christmas, she got laid off from the job. Uh, She leaves behind a husband who this year they're getting ready, would have been celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. Uh, Leaves behind two daughters who are in their 20s. One has just been recently married and and is is working now, and uh, the other just got accepted into pharmacy school at Carolina. And uh, her mom's not going to see her graduate as an undergraduate. Uh, not going to see her get married, not going to see any grandchildren. Uh, and, and so, 55 years old, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's a good Christian family. And they're at church every Sunday, and they love God, and, and they do the right things. And it's like Joseph. They didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve slavery. He didn't deserve prison, right? They didn't deserve this illness. They didn't deserve to lose a mother right? Misha's mom and her two brothers were at the funeral, right? It's, you shouldn't outlive your children. It just, so we, we headed into the funeral on Tuesday. We got all this emotion going on and all this battles of cancer in Laura's family. Uh, and then we're a little nervous about the funeral because there's some church dynamics going on. It's a small church out in, in the country outside of Ashborough and Pisgah. And uh, the pastor who had been there for 21 years was coming back to help do the funeral. And, and he has family that's in the church. And he left about six years ago to go plant a church at the beach. And that didn't work out really well. And so he's got to have some regrets coming back. The, the current pastor who'd been there for six years, it's hard to follow somebody who's been there ahead of you 21 years. And he tried to pastor differently. That didn't work out. And he grew the church from 120 people down to 40 people and uh, they've asked him to leave uh, in, in June when, when they rotate out. Uh, and he's no longer working in the church, but he's living in the parsonage. And, and the third pastor to help with the sermon uh, the service was the interim pastor. right? And so you had 80 people who left. They've come back for the receiving, they've come back for the funeral. The church was packed. and we're just not sure how these three pastors or how this congregation is going to minister to our family. Uh, and so we went to that funeral. Uh, And it turned out a lot better than than we had hoped. And uh, a lot of good things happened. A lot of really good things happened in that funeral. Uh, They celebrated Laura's Aunt Misha's life and just... What a great godly person she was. She taught children Sunday school for years and and just how it it impacted some of those children or adults now. And, you know, she and her family were faithful through all three of these pastors. And it didn't matter who the pastor was. They loved their church family. They weren't going anywhere and was a great witness to that. She was an awesome mother. She was an awesome wife, just an an awesome family member. So we celebrated her life. They also did a really good job about celebrating that God is with us, right? God is with us right now, and the congregation really rallied around themselves to comfort the family, and there's a lot of infighting in the who left and who hasn't left, and they're all coming back. They set that aside, and they loved on this family. They preached the gospel of Jesus, and it was powerful, and talked about salvation and how we celebrate that Misha's in heaven and that we'll see her again one day. And one, one of the one of the men who was at the at the, at the uh, funeral service, uh, later found out that he gave his life to Christ because of this, right? And so someone came to salvation through this funeral and it's it's powerful. And so, right, there's some really good things going on, celebrating her life, uh, looking that God is with us. We have each other uh, and, and overcoming our differences as a congregation to, to come together and do the right thing. What I would have liked to have seen was for one of the pastors or anybody who was speaking to get up and say, There's a lot of good stuff, and we're excited that she's in heaven and all that kind of stuff, but this situation stinks. She's 55 years old. Her daughter's... Uh, I don't have a mom. Her, her mom doesn't have a daughter. Her husband of 30 years right, is not going to be able to celebrate that anniversary. Right? She died before she should have. 55 is, is too young to die, and it's okay to be mad about that. It's okay to be sad about that. It's okay to have no feelings, to feel numb, because most of us are in shock about that. Right, The funeral was so positive there was none of that permission to grieve or be angry or face the fact that sometimes our lower stories stink. But they did nail it right that God is with us, and that we have each other and we move forward. The other thing that I would have liked to heard them say, right? And it's, it's easy playing you know quarterback pastor the next day or whatever. And I'm sure y'all do that for me, so it comes around. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of amens up here as right. <laughs> was to talk about the, the upper story, not not using the, the, the language upper story because that, that's something unique to, to this study that we're doing, but to say, what good could god be bringing out of this right to say life is short folks and we got to enjoy it jesus came to give us life to the full and we can't postpone the vacations or telling people that we love each other right and 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 she did a lot of enjoying her life but we just we we cannot take tomorrow for granted and it's more than just like, you know, carpe diem, seize the day and live and have a good time. It's like, God, you've placed me here. How can I help other people? Because there are other people who are hurting and suffering. What is your your plan for me and how can I help make life better for the people who are around me like Misha did, right? That's an upper story thing. The other side of this was something that right when she was diagnosed with cancer, her church had a healing service for her uh, and it was awesome. And Misha was very bold and very honest at that, that service. And she said that she should have had a colonoscopy when she was 50, but she put it off. And her doctor said that she's probably been living with cancer somewhere between five and seven years. And if she would have gone to the doctor on time, she probably would have discovered it. They would have been able to cure it and she would not have died. That's a bold thing for her to say. But that's a message that, that, that could have been said to that funeral. Everybody take care of yourselves, right? And since then, like everybody in Laura's family has signed up for a colonoscopy. Everybody that I tell this story to who's of age is saying, you know what, I'm overdue on that, right? Allow this to be an opportunity for someone to learn and have their life saved rather than going about doing what Misha did. She put it off. She was too busy. She didn't want to do it, but it, she could have caught it and she could have lived. That's a huge upper story picture that really I think should have been told at that funeral. God is with us in our lower stories. God is with us in difficult circumstances, and God uses those stories to bring good in the upper story. So brothers and sisters, if you're going through a difficult time right now, call a timeout and say, you know what, this stinks, but I need to to take a step back, and I need to be proactive to to figure out where is God working, and, and where's the goodness in this, right? To look for God in our lower stories and to think upper story, right? Because sometimes a bad place is the right place to encounter God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.